In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. In 1972 at Stanford University, a psychologist by the name of Walter Michel started what are now considered to be the first uh, really long-term experiments on delay of gratification, especially with children. Delay of gratification basically means that you have a passion, there's some desire, and you're with, uh, able to withhold on fulfilling it. Um, and that to delay uh, getting that gratification, to be able to sit with a, a bowl of food in front of you and to not eat it. And uh, indeed, they did lots of kinds of experiments with these children, asking them to wait several minutes, up to five minutes to ten minutes. Uh, one of the most famous parts of the experiment were putting a, a marshmallow in front of the child and asking them to not eat the marshmallow. If they waited up to 15 minutes, they would get a second marshmallow, and it became known as the marshmallow experiment. And so they found that uh, different children had different abilities, really wide-ranging abilities, when it came uh, to delay of gratification, the ability to not uh, eat the marshmallow that was sitting right in front of them. Uh, You would uh, read these experiments and you would see how little these psychologists really knew, uh, probably because they hadn't been reading the book of Numbers. If they had read the book of Numbers, they would know a little bit about delay of gratification and what that means. This is what the nation of Israel was completely failing at, their ability to delay gratification. They wanted meat, and they wanted it right now, and they were stomping their feet as children. They were saying, if we don't have it now, we're going to die, we're going to perish, we might as well all die. Moses basically says the same thing. If I can't give them what they want, how am I going to provide for them? Because I can't give them what they want right now, I might as well die too. So they uh, fall very quickly into a kind of despair because of this passion and this desire. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting meat, right? The passions in themselves are not wrong, uh, right? We all desire physical intimacy. We all desire food. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is that when the passion becomes master of us rather than us master of our passions, And uh, it's simple to say, but sometimes it's hard to discern uh, which is which, right? Who is the master and who is the servant? And so uh, very quickly, our passions can become masters over us. And uh, when our passions become masters, uh, then this is what happens. We fall very quickly into despair and we think, I might as well just quit. I might as well just not do anything. I'll never be successful because I can't get what I want uh, right now. And of course, the antidote to this kind of despair, the antidote to our passions becoming master over us is uh, the word of God, right? And it's the word of God that we receive uh, that's been given to us in Holy Scripture. And it's the word of God that comes to us in prayer. And if we're not getting both of those things on a daily basis, we will quickly become slaves to our passions. So if we're in the word, if we're reading the word of God, and if we're uh, setting time aside... And we're giving the Lord the time to speak to us, to receive his Holy Spirit. Uh, This is where we will get the strength and the discipline that we need uh, to do the work that the Lord has given us to do. And so, of course, the antidote that the Lord gives to Moses and to the people of God is his Holy Spirit. And, of course, now you can see that the whole Trinity is present in uh, in the book of Numbers. They are leaving in the book of Numbers Mount Sinai and they're moving to the plains of Moab, right? So they spent all of Exodus pretty much coming 
out of Egypt and going to Mount Sinai and receiving the word of God there. It's with numbers that they start to move and they start to battle these other tribes and they move to the the gates, if you will, of the Jordan River, uh, ready to cross over that river. And so there's uh, lots of uh, difficulty, there's lots of danger in this travel. And uh, the Lord has already spoken to Moses, right? Uh, We've heard the word of God spoken. This is God the Father. Moses has seen the Son, right? He allows him to perceive his glory. You remember that? He says, you can stand behind the rock and um, I'm going to move past you. So he's seen the Son. And then he's uh, now received the Holy Spirit, right? And the Lord says that part of the Spirit that's on Moses, he's going to give. Uh, to the 70. And of course that number 70 is just a random number, right? No importance there at all. This couldn't possibly be 7 times 10, could it? Uh, completeness. See, he's going to completely give his Holy Spirit. It also couldn't be reminiscent of the 70 that Jesus sends out, could it? Uh, with the Holy Spirit to go and do ministry. Uh, so this 70 being sent out, this perfection, this completeness of God's uh, Holy Spirit being sent out is what we're being uh, given here. That he is going to give them uh, the fullness of prophecy. And so this is exactly what the Lord does. He gives them his word that they are able to speak. That's what a prophet does. A prophet says, this is where God is. This is where you are. You see that? God, you. And so uh, they're saying, this is where the, God, where the Lord wants you to be. This is the holiness that he's calling you into. And we know, uh, and it's really wonderfully reassuring, that we don't have to do everything just right to receive the Holy Spirit, right? We don't have to be at just the right time in our prayers, at just the right place, saying just the right thing for the Holy Spirit to come. In fact, you can miss your ordination altogether, like Eldad and Medad, and still receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't that reassuring? This should be a passage that makes us all say, thank goodness, right? I thought I had to be just right. I had to have my prayer book in the right place. I had to be at just the right time. I had to be in just the right frame of mind. I had to say just the right words for the Holy Spirit to come. No, the Lord, his desire is to pour out his spirit upon all of us. So even Eldad and Medad, who don't make it to the party, still receive the Holy Spirit and the Lord uh, speaks through them. This, of course, is what we see happen in uh, St. Mark's Gospel. Uh, This is still chapter 9, the same chapter where the Lord has gone up to the Mount of Transfiguration and where we've seen uh, the kingdom of God be opened through the prayer of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Right? He's gone up to this mountain. He's prayed. The, the kingdom of heaven, that window has been opened up so that the apostles are able to see uh, Moses and Elijah. And he's come down the mountain and immediately the work of casting out demons is presented. Why is that? Because that's what it means for the kingdom of heaven to be opened. When this window in the kingdom of heaven is opened, that means the kingdom is spreading out onto earth. And what happens when we spread out God's kingdom is the demons get pushed out. Right? They get pushed out of people, they get pushed out of homes, they get pushed out of places. So when we're in prayer, when we're allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through us, uh, the kingdom of heaven is being opened up and demons are being pushed out and away. And Jesus is saying that this is the, the work that we're given to do. And again, you don't have to be just right as an apostle or just right as a disciple. All you have to do is to be in the name of Jesus and, and, and doing that work. If they're casting out demons, that means that they're expanding the kingdom of God. They're allowing that kingdom to open up and that's all that's required it's a really low entry level isn't that nice 
It's nice for me. I hope you think it's nice for you, right? That means that you don't have to have a whole lot in order to say the name of Jesus, to cast out demons, and to be able to to claim a place that you're in for the kingdom of God. All you've got to do is walk into your office or your home or your uh, friend's house or the grocery store or wherever you are and say, uh, Jesus, this is your place. This is your kingdom. And we claim it for him, and those demons have to leave. That's it. By his name. And to do that, to, to claim uh, the presence of Jesus, is to say that, uh, that we are living in the kingdom of God. As the prophets say, we're living according to the rules of righteousness. And Jesus is saying here that, um, that we have to be careful again, just as we saw the nation of Israel, uh, about our desires, about our own hearts, about what it is that we're uh, doing and what it is that we're teaching others. And we have to be careful when we are claiming a place in the name of Jesus and when we are entering into a place uh, that we're claiming for the kingdom of God, that we're also promoting his righteousness. Right? That's what it means. We have to be promoting the righteousness of God. And so Jesus is strictly warning those who are causing little ones to sin, causing them to sin, right? What does this mean? This means enticing them to follow their passions. So as we said before, there's nothing wrong to have a passion, but what's problematic is if somebody says, go ahead and do it. What's the big deal? What's it going to hurt? Go ahead and have a little bit more. Why don't you go and get a little bit more of that? Whenever we're promoting people, To follow their passions, we're telling people to go and serve their passions. We're promoting them to become servants of their passions. The Lord says that you'd be better to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the ocean. I don't know that he could have said it any stronger than that, right? And this worm that he's talking about is the worm that comes in desire. Uh, We don't think about worms too much, do we? Um, But uh, many parts of the world still, worms are very dangerous, right? They come into our bodies and they they consume our bodies. They're parasites, right? And that, that worm is eating the nutrients that we put into our body, so it's stealing nutrients from us. And the worm becomes hungry and desires more of those nutrients. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that that that, uh, that passion that we have that's deep within inside of us is like having a worm in our gut that's more and more soaking up those nutrients. It's soaking up our energy. It's soaking up our time. It's soaking up our concentration. And we all know this, right? We know what happens when we let a passion get out of control. It starts to take all of our time. It starts to take all of our mental focus. It starts to take all of our energy, all of our focus in life. And he's saying that that worm will not die by feeding it. The worm will not die by feeding it. We think, if I scratch a little bit more, the itch will go away. What happens? It makes it worse. So St. James gives us a wonderful antidote for that problem. All he sets for us as a bar is resist. Resist the devil. He doesn't say overcome him. He doesn't say defeat him. He doesn't say become master of him. All he does is say, resist. In other words, you've got a temptation to serve the passion, and all you've got to do is say, I'm going to resist that. And he says, when we resist, the devil flees. And then he says, draw near to God. 
Once again, our focus needs to be on the Word of God, on prayer, on time with the Lord, on seeking the kingdom of God, seeking His kingdom to expand. And when His kingdom expands, we more discern His ways and His righteousness and we're able clearly to follow it. So St. James the Just simply says that we need to draw near to God. And he says if we're double-minded, if we're of two minds, it's not going to work. This is what Jesus says in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He calls it purity of heart, right? Purity of heart is to will one thing, to will the will of God. He says you cannot be double-minded. To be pure of heart means that, that I've got one focus, right? My focus needs to be on the Lord. So he says, if we're focused on the Lord, we're humbling ourselves, we're going to recognize, oh, here's God and here's me, and I'm far away. That's what humility is, right? And mourning our sins is to say, yeah, I've got a ways to go. When we're willing to see that, then we're willing to look at these three areas of our life. What are the three areas that St. James really draws up that are uh, enticing for us as passions, right? Speaking ill of other people. Boy, is that tempting. Huh? Am I the only one? Am I the only one who can relate to that? Speaking evil against one another. Basically, that means belittling. Does that mean we can't say, oh, they're blowing all their money on this game, on this foolishness, and I can't tell them they can't do that? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that I can't belittle the person for doing it. I can't make them smaller than me. Right? So I can discern right from wrong, but I don't get to belittle. Right? What's the second thing he says? He's, the second thing he says is that we don't boast of evil, but we have to do the right thing. If we know what's right, we have to do it. So it's not enough just to know what the right thing is. Sometimes we think that's enough. I know right from wrong. I can tell you about it. But then I don't have to do it. So we have to discern what's right, and we also have to do it. And then he comes to this really hard thing about riches. Which, riches are like bricks. Right? If you've got a brick, you can throw it through a window, or you can build a hospital. Money is the same thing as a brick. If we're using it for the kingdom of God, then gathering it so that we can do more work for the kingdom of God is a good thing. But if we're gathering it for ourselves out of selfishness, he says that will corrode. It corrodes our hearts. So the more we gather to keep for ourselves, the more that we, that we try to protect it for ourselves, the more that we separate ourselves from others. And in that separation, we fall into sin and into death. Well, Walter Michel thought that if the children focused on the marshmallow, then they would have delay of gratification. Boy, was he wrong. It turns out that the more they thought about the marshmallow, the kids that would go up and smell it, they'd get down, these are four-year-olds, right? They'd touch it, push their finger down on it, watch it spring back, right? Those children were far more likely to eat it. The kids that were successful with delay of gratification turned around in their chairs put their hands under their backs, and they sang songs. And they did longitudinal Sundays on these kids. In other words, they came back to them 20 years later and found out that those kids that turned around in their chairs and sang a song were more likely to finish college, were more likely to be saving, right? more likely to have money in the bank, more likely to have successful long-term relationships, on and on and on.
Right? The scriptures tell us that. Resist the devil. Dwell in the things of God. Receive his righteousness. Sing his hymns with joy. If there's something good, reflect on that. Be about the kingdom of God. Resist the devil and draw near to him. He will be faithful.